and welcome to the Frankenstein podcast from Planet 13. It's the punk rock popcorn pajama party. I'm here with Georgia. Hello. I'm also here with myself, Andy. Hello. And we have got a stormer for you today. It's our second episode of the Vincent Price season. Vincent Price June. What have we got? Well, the song that we're going to be talking about... Uh, this week, the horror punk song that we've chosen is by Resurrex, and the song is called House on Haunted Hill. So that leads me to believe that the film we'll be doing today is also going to be House on Haunted Hill. Yeah, the 1959 Vincent Price joint, House on Haunted Hill. Let's get to it. So, Andy, what is it that made you choose the Resurrex song, House on Haunted Hill, for us to talk about this week? It's got a bass line that goes while the drums kind of go like and it's it's um I guess horror punk ability is what we'd call this. Uh, I first came to know Resurrects from a very old punk rock compilation CD I had. Uh, I think it was Give Him the Boot 4. It was the guy from Rancid's record label, Sampler. And it was an instrumental track. And it had this very... It reminded me at the time of um, From Dust Till Dawn. My my child brain was like, oh, this is some sort of cowboy punk. I like this. But then I never heard of Resurrects again for years until we came into this the broadband era when you could get Spotify and YouTube and you could find all these bands that were never stocked in any of the shops. And yeah, they did a song called House on Haunted Hill, which I believe references the movie House on Haunted Hill with Vincent Price. Yeah, I, I'd say it's a, it's a pretty direct reference. The lyrics make some pretty clear uh, references to things that happen in the 1959 uh, film. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know if it makes references to anything that happens in the 1997 remake, because I haven't seen that. 1999? 1999 remake, because uh, I haven't seen that. But uh, yeah, so there's uh, some some crucial lyrics from this song that are going to relate to things from the movie. Uh, includes the line, running from a skeleton could be fake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think... I have seen the 1999 movie back in 1999. I cannot remember it at all, but I think it was quite a different movie in terms of the ghosts were... Oh, I nearly gave away a twist there. Mmm. Mmm. I mean, I'd say it's not completely confirmed in the one that we watched, whether or not the ghosts are real. Whoa! Steady on. We're only three minutes into this podcast. And three spoilers deep. <laughs> That's right, there may or may not be a ghost in the film House on Haunted Hill. Oh, if only someone had done a song called The Ghost of Vincent Price, maybe we could do that on the show. <laughs> hey, we are recording this on a Wednesday. Oh, that's true. <laughs> okay. House on Haunted Hill. I'm in my dressing gown. I'm quite tired. I woke up quite early this morning and I didn't get much sleep last night. So I think instead of staying for this punk rock popcorn podcast pajama party. I might leave. I'm afraid that the servants have already locked the doors. Oh no, I can't leave. But wait, there's an upside. If I stay all night, 
Yeah, I'm going to give you $10,000 to stay on this podcast. And a gun. Mm. And a little... The gun is free. (laughs) Bonus gun. (laughs) Bonus gun. Everybody gets something. Nobody goes home empty-handed. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. Do we want to talk more about the song? I mean, I don't have a ton more to say about this song. As you said, this is another example of a horror punk song that kind of like skirts the boundary of uh, of rockabilly. I actually first came across Resurrects in the, what you call the broadband era on Spotify on a... We're in the broadband era. <laughs> yeah. Tell me I'm wrong. I, I can't. <laughs> We've uh, got 5G, baby. <laughs> five ghouls. Uh, on a on a playlist, I think, called Hot Rods and Horror Shows, which is kind of a rockabilly horror punk mm. playlist, uh, which I do recommend, but not as much as I recommend our playlist, uh, Frankenstein playlist from Planet 13, where if you want to listen to any songs that we've talked about on this show, you can find them all uh, there. It slaps, honestly. Give it a go. Yeah, I, um, I would definitely recommend... I mean, Resurrects... One of the things we try and do, I think, is like showcase. Cool um, name. Mm. Cool artwork as well. Yeah, very and cool, cool sounds. artwork. They've got it all. Uh, we try and showcase like bands and musicians that maybe you haven't heard of. Like, you know, uh, I Can't guess. Can't all be the Misfits. Exactly. Like, <laughs> we probably could make a podcast just about Misfits songs because they've made a lot of songs about movies. But uh, I think, you know, we really try and mix it up and. Uh, so it was quite cool to showcase uh, a song by a band that's, you know, a bit less well-known, but making really, like, fun to listen to music. I don't know how well-known they are, to be honest. I mean, they've been going for a long time. It's true, they have been going for a long time. I will say that when I tried to find the lyrics so that I could have the lyrics handy uh, for the podcast, mm-hmm. uh, none of the lyrics for this 2020 album have been transcribed online. So Gotta get the CD, baby. Open yeah. up that booklet. Yeah, I I will freely admit that I don't have the CD or indeed any means by which I could play a CD. The car. <laughs> I'll go and sit in the car. If you would. <laughs> what type of car is it? Is it a funeral procession of hearses and funeral cars making their way up, I think, the Hollywood Hills in California going to some sort of party? It is. So I think this seems like a good moment to transition into talking about the 1959 film House on Haunted Hill, starring our main man Vincent Price. Now this is a William Castle joint. So just like the Tingler last week that we watched, uh, it's a black and white 1959 William Castle film. And as such, you better believe that it had a theatre gimmick. What was the theatre gimmick for this one? Well, I'd like you to tell me. That's right, it's the return of what I can only assume was my hugely acclaimed segment from last week. Is it a gimmick? (laughs) Yeah, I saw the numbers, and the numbers say, what a segment. Yeah, I'm hoping that you'll make me some kind of, uh, you know, a jingle. Oh, shit. Yeah, I will. Nice. Is it a gimmick, or is it not? Or something. Yeah, exactly like that. There we go. Clip it. Cut it. Print it. No, I promise I'll put at least 20% more thought into it when I do it. 
All right. So this time, instead of like, uh, you know, last week I had, had quite a lot of questions for Is It a Gimmick? This time I got one multiple choice question. Ooh. So, William Castle had a theatre gimmick for House on Haunted Hill. But what was it? Was it A, he booked screenings in actual haunted houses across America? Is it B, a plastic skeleton on a pulley that would fly over the audience at key moments? (laughs) Or was it C, that he paid ushers to sit in the audience dressed as normal audience members and scream loudly at crucial moments? Oh, you know... um... Okay, I could believe all three of these. I'm kind of erring towards... Erring, is that the right word? I'm erring my dirty laundry on this podcast. I'm erring towards um, paying ushers to sit in the audience and scream loudly because I know how much William Castle wants people to scream at his movies. We saw that with The Tingler. Um, Possibly the only film in history where it starts with the director telling the audience... Scream in my movie. I really want you to. So I'm tempted to say C, but the skeleton on a pulley flying over the audience makes a lot of sense. Um, For reasons that will become apparent the more we go into this podcast for anyone who hasn't seen the film, A is the one I'm least inclined to pick. Uh, Screaming, screaming, screaming House on Haunted Hill in genuine haunted houses across America. Although that would be cool. I am going to say C. He paid ushers to pretend to be regular theatre goers and scream loudly during the movie. I'm sorry Andy, you aren't correct on this occasion. Your uh, your gut feeling about B, that it would go well with the film House on Haunted Hill Mm. was correct. So, can you just remind the listeners, uh, last week, the gimmick we talked about for The Tingler, where people were electrocuted in their cinema seats, <laughs> what did what did William Castle call that? He called that Percepto. That's right. Do you want to take a guess at what he called the movie magic by which a plastic skeleton emerged from the cinema screen? Oh, emerged from the cinema screen. That sounds cool. That sounds cool. Did he Did he actually do this, by the way, or was this just pitched? Yeah, he really did it. Oh, man. It's considered to be a factor in the in the movie's great commercial success. People had it so good back then. We go to a movie now, and the best you can hope for is, oh, they'll put it on IMAX, and you can see it real big, like... Dude, throw a skeleton at me and scream. Um, what was the question? <laughs> What did he call it when the skeleton emerged oh, see, I from know the cinema screen? You're trying to drop hints. Emerged from the screen. Like, from the mind that brought you Percepto. Skelevision. Skelevision is actually a way better name than what he came up with. I love Skelevision. <laughs> he called it Emerjo. What a legend. You can't parody a man like that. That man is beyond parody. Mm. I've often wondered what it means to be beyond parody, and now I know. Well, there you go. How, what could you do to make fun of Emerjo? <laughs> Where a plastic skeleton flies over the audience on a pulley. 
So what did you think of House on Haunted Hill? I freaking loved it. This was the second time I've watched it. I've watched it before with you many moons ago. We watched it again uh, just the other night for purposes of this podcast. I probably enjoyed it more the second time around. I enjoyed it plenty the first time around. I was actually thinking, um, we watched it in black and white. Now, I'm going to be straight with our listeners, if that's all right. We rent a lot of these movies from Amazon Prime. I cannot afford to fill my home with Blu-ray cases uh, as much as I want to. I simply can't. So we rent on Amazon Prime. And when I rented it on Amazon Prime, um, there was two choices. There was the black and white version and a version that had been colorized. And I don't know which version was released on cinemas at the time. I don't know which version got Emerjo. Uh, I believe that the original version was black and white color process and the color the colorized version is a later restoration. Right. I'm really gl- I'm really glad we watched a black and white version. I I can't imagine watching this in those awful painted colored versions they do of things. It it rules. I wanted to talk to you actually about the um the titular House on Haunted Hill. Mm. Um, we mentioned at the start that uh, the film opens with a procession of funeral cars winding their way up, I believe it's the California Hills, to spend the night at the House on Haunted Hill. Which, on all the pictures and all the promotional images I see of this, looks like a kind of Adams Family, uh, Walt Disney-esque... Uh, what's that Walt Disney ride called? You know what I mean. Yeah, it's got like- uh... A haunted old, mansion. Old Victorian haunted mansion with turrets and big eaves and, you know, all that spooky stuff. Like the house that Casper probably lives in. I don't know where he lives. Um, but actually, the house on Haunted Hill is a sort of art deco bunker. <laughs> what did you make of that? So this is quite a famous house. This is the Ennis house. Uh, which was built by, uh, or designed by, a very famous American architect called Frank Lloyd Wright. You you said to me as we were watching that film, oh, I wonder if that's a Frank Lloyd Wright. Have you just confirmed it to be true? Yeah, I have just confirmed it to be true. I, I knew that it was one of the big American Franks. Right. I knew it was either Lloyd Wright or Frank Gehry. Um, and yeah, so this is, as you say, it's a, uh, a sort of a deco, like a, a famous deco building very very interesting in its construction one of the things that's really interesting about its use in the film is just how completely at odds with the interiors of the house in Mm. the film it is you know we're talking about something that's modernist in its design as you say it's like low square it's got these very interesting sort of precast concrete bricks with interesting texture yeah and then on the inside, it's sort of like an 1880s Victorian mansion with no electricity. <laughs> like we're talking about a house that was built in 1924. Yeah. And uh, Vincent Price is like, there's no electricity, no telephone. It's got one of, I think we're, we're glossing over one of its strangest architectural features, which is a wine cellar. Okay, not that unusual. A wine cellar, sure. In this wine, wine cellar is a in the floor swimming pool sized vat of acid 
Mm. That pe- multiple people have died in, but no one's ever emptied out. No, and it's just there as a kind of watch out for the infinity acid pool. Yeah, you're being shown around by... It's covered the, by a drawbridge for some reason. By the estate agent and... Uh, you know, they're using all the, the sort of classic estate agent language. You go into the basement, it's really dark. They say, oh, welcome to the basement, very cosy. Yeah. Uh, and you, as you'll see, it's got a bespoke pool. <laughs> Don't dip a toe <laughs> unless you want a skeleton toe. <laughs> so, yes, there's a lot of bare concrete in the cellars. But upstairs is, like you said, kind of Victorian-esque. Um, the bedrooms in this are straight out of uh, episode two's Hammer Horror Dracula, in my mind. Um, And it's in one of these bedrooms uh, where Vincent Price introduces us to his wife. Yeah, um, so this is a William Castle film from the late 1950s, which means that the main character has the most insanely toxic relationship with his wife that you can imagine. I don't know what was going on with William Castle in 1959, but wives were not top of his list of things that he liked. Uh, so Did he write this or did he direct it? He directed it. I think he was involved in creating the story. I mean, Vincent Price is... He's justified in not liking his wife very much in that she is actively trying to kill him. Oh yeah, I'm not saying... I'm not saying... Like, oh, Vincent Price is a, a real misogynist in this film. No, his wife's an absolute monster. <laughs> uh, but his wife was also a monster in The Tingler. So at some point, you've got to start thinking, what is it about me that's attracting these people? I am looking forward to Would You Kiss the Monster with Vincent Price's wife. Mm. But Vincent Price is also a monster in this movie. They are two monsters married together. This is a veritable Bride of Frankenstein mm. all over again where they actually do get married this time. Uh, yes, Vincent Price has decided to put on a evening, well, a night uh, party, where if a guest can spend the night in the house on Haunted Hill, they win $10,000. It's not clear to me from watching this movie if Vincent Price and his wife lived in this house already, and if so... Surely they know it's not haunted. No, they don't live in it. He's uh, he's rented it from the drunk character. Uh, oh, right. Okay, that makes sense. Cause in there's... order to put on this party. Yeah, because there's a character who's very afraid of the house and all that have been decapitated therein. Yeah, so his brother and sister-in-law both died in the house. Right, I understand now. Um, and he's the owner of the house. And they bring in this cast of characters. Who are all sort of united by desperately needing money for some reason for their gambling problem or yeah. just sort of common greed. The fighter pilot addiction. Or one psychologist who doesn't seem to need the money, but there is a glint of greed in his eye. That's right. One of these guests is in league with the wife. To murder Vincent Price. But Vincent Price is also in league with himself to murder the wife and her lover. So it's all... One of the things that I really like about this film is that it is a horror film. It's got, you know, ghosts and scares and um, shocking moments. 
But I'd say it's almost more of a thriller. It's like a thriller with, not strictly speaking, supernatural elements, but a, a thriller with like horror moments, a thriller with scares. Mm. Um, but it's very much about relationships and, you know, how people act under pressure and people trying to betray each other and stuff. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It really is. Um, uh, well, I've forgotten her name. The main female lead that isn't Vincent Price's wife. Nora. Seems to get the brunt of the scares. She's our scream queen, I guess. Uh, and the way people respond to her is, is pretty interesting. Um, there's a, I called him a fighter pilot before, but he's actually a test pilot, I believe. Um, he gets clobbered around the head in a darkened room. And while he's sort of unconscious, I guess, Laura gets the fright of her life when she sees a horrifying woman sort of appear next to her and hover away uh, into the black darkness. <laughs> I just found it hilarious that when the test pilot sort of came to, who had just been assaulted by in a an mysterious in an empty room by seemingly nothing, was so dismissive of her straight away. Like, you silly broad, what are you talking about? There's nobody in here. It's like, bro, you just got clobbered. There's nobody in there either. Why are you not bothered by this? I suppose he'd just been hit around the head, actually. He probably wasn't thinking straight. Probably needed a Valium and mm. a lie down, which is what the doctor prescribes anytime anyone's a little bit agitated in this movie. Well, only if a woman's a little bit agitated in this movie. The doctor is a specialist in hysteria. Yeah, if the men are agitated, give them a gun. Mm. I mean, everyone gets a gun. It's guns all round in cute little coffin boxes. How did you feel about uh, Vincent Price's wife flat out refusing the gun? I thought it was... Uh... Yeah, I, I thought it was just a nice touch. The whole thing is about these sort of two really manipulative, really quite toxic people sort of dancing this dance around each other where they both think they've got the better of each other. You're putting it so eloquently. Can I tell you what it made me think of? What? Two Scooby-Doo villains in one Scooby-Doo episode. <laughs> I mean, it's very much that as well. I was wondering, and I don't know this at all, but is this the origin of a trope which you would see now in The Simpsons or Scooby-Doo of, you know, yeah, you'll get your inheritance, but you have to spend a night in the house. Uh, Oh, maybe. Is this the film that kind of started that idea? I didn't think about that, but yeah, possibly. Because it is, this is, I mean, I'm not going to say spoiler alert. Like, if you listen to this show, we're going to talk about what happens in the film. Yeah, also it came out in like 1960, so deal with it. Um, this is a Scooby-Doo plot. Yes. It's a fake ghost, scare someone plot. It's a sinister one. It's a scare someone to death plot. It's a use the scares to cover up the murder plot, but it's a Scooby-Doo plot. And as you said, it's a Scooby-Doo where there's two villains trying to take each other out. Yeah, by scaring each other with lots of ropes, lots of pulleys, uh, lots of pretend decapitated heads and floating ghosty... Wives. Two yeah. fake hangings oh, of the same person. Yeah. That it's... was great, though. I did not expect to see that. I'd forgotten that happened, and when I watched it again, I was, I was... I gasped. Yeah, especially the way it's played. So you're led to believe by the film that the hanged body that's been found is Nora's. 
her and then it's actually Annabelle, the the wife, and she has uh, faked her own death to try and pin it on her husband yeah. uh, so that she can inherit all his wealth. Whereas uh, in the end, he kills her and her lover and she joins his three other wives as being mysteriously dead. So no one in this film really is a good person, except for Nora. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, God. Is it commentary on capitalism? Or is it a prequel to Joe Rogan's Fear Factor in the 2000s? What would people do for money? I'm afraid I didn't watch Joe Rogan's Fear Factor. Okay, well let's pull it back. Is it a commentary on capitalism? I'm inclined to say no, it's not. I don't... Well, there was quite strong, uh, like... Factions of communist sentiment in Hollywood in the fifties. I don't. Everyone gets a gun. <laughs> I don't think uh, that William Castle was making subtle commentaries on capitalism uh, in nineteen fifty nine. I think it, this is more of uh, somewhere between a straight up and down horror thriller and maybe a little bit of a a relationships piece. Mm. I still think it's um. Like, there's some really good performances in it. It's something... A lot of things that we've watched recently have been... You could call them campy, right? But there is something sort of knowing in this one that makes it more fun. Yeah. Yeah, there is. And and there are moments of genuine... There's genuine scares in this. I want to say it. There's some excellent uh, jump scares. I I normally hate jump scares. I think they're really cheap. This does, this, uh, does jump scares really well. And it, it, it builds a sense of dread quite well as you see a corridor uh, quite a lot with a curtain going across one half of the corridor. And I don't know why, but that really started to build a sense of dread. It was almost like watching like a David Lynch movie in parts where you're expecting, what is behind that curtain? What is behind this facade? And it is a facade, isn't it? It's, it's a ruse. It's a bit Wizard of Oz in a way, I suppose. I loved the way the house was where each bedroom sort of has a door going into the adjacent bedroom. So people were being told to lock their doors uh, to bar entry from the corridor. But people from the adjacent bedroom also had a door, which was, again, a bit Scooby-Doo. <laughs> um, but it led to a great sense. It had that really good sense um, of a classic, even though it isn't really a murder mystery, it had a great sense of the locked room murder mystery about it where you've got this cast of characters a ship in a bottle an episode in a bottle is it what they call it yeah a bottle episode a bottle if it episode. was a tv show um yeah it's got like this one setting and you can sort of track the movements of the characters throughout yes. it and try and think oh well the psychiatrist wasn't there for that scene or like yeah. and she was only- in the parlor making herself a gin and whatever it was she was calling it scotch and scotch and uh, and only the, only this person handled the body, and only this person saw that. It's definitely got yeah. some fun dramatic irony where you, as the audience, know things that some of the characters don't know. But then yeah. there's still quite a lot of twists where the characters know things that you don't until the last minute. And it's also left open ended at the end. So the the drunk character, the character who owns the house throughout the whole film, is very sort of maudlin and. 
is certain that all of them will die, that the house is genuinely haunted, because seven murders had taken place in the house, and all of them were unusual in some way. So people were, you know, hacked to pieces and parts never found, or people were uh, pushed into the bath of acid. There's no, there's no sort of um, straightforward murders that have taken place in the house. And by the end of the film, two more killings have taken place that were very unusual in character. And he believes, he closes the film basically by implying that it it was still the ghosts, that people were still driven bad, mad by the ghosts. And that now there's just two more ghosts in the house on Haunted Hill. Yeah. So it is left a bit open-ended, even though we're shown that there's nothing uh, really supernatural happening. It's it it's up for debate whether or not that's the case. That's a lot of murders for a house that was built in 1924. That's true. Yeah, twenty thirty-five years. That's a ratio. That's incredible. <laughs> that's a murder every five years. Yeah, they sh- they really should uh, open a case file on that guy. Um, we have. Spent quite a long time talking about the house, uh, from the house on Haunted Hill. We have actually barely talked about the main man. The man of June. The man of month. We've barely talked about Vincent Price. It's true. And I gotta say, this is peak Vincent Price. Yeah. He is brilliant in this film. And he gets such good lines to deliver. Mm. Arsenic on the rocks. He he gets to do this in The Tingler as well, but this is an amazing performance in terms of him just playing this really, really sinister character who's not necessarily the bad guy of the film, but everything he does has this kind of like seething intensity to it. He's always... Like, in every scene, he's being extremely polite to everyone. Yes. But there's so much, there's subtext on subtext within everything that he says, so that everyone's aware of what he really means. And it's yeah. just so, uh, it's just really delicious. Like, it's not a scenery-chewing performance, although it's got its fair share of camp. Mm. But it is just a really delicious performance i loved it you're absolutely right in what you said before about this is a film about intrapersonal relationships and the emotions and the sort of intricacies that go with that yeah i've just realized that the way he'll observe everyone in the room see their reactions to what he said and then we as the audience can see him very briefly just for a split second he might smile he's just had the desired effect but he'll hide it really quickly and to carry on playing the part of the eccentric uh, millionaire. Which is, and one of the interesting things about it, so this is an ensemble piece, there's uh, seven main characters, plus the two servants who don't get lines. Uh, <laughs> the two servants are freaking hilarious. The servants the are a very funny addition. Um, but so, and we're introduced to all the characters in the opening. Yeah. Uh, the, so the opening scene... First, the owner of the house introduces himself. Then Vincent Price introduces himself as uh, as Lauren, the Mr. Lauren, the eccentric millionaire. And then, one by one, he introduces the uh, the characters, the five characters that he's bringing to the party. 
So he's really set up as a metaphorical puppet master. He's identified these five unrelated people mm-hmm. who he's bringing together in order to like manipulate them and play with their feelings. And one of yeah. them is his wife's lover. And it's all, you know, this very calculated thing. There is also a moment where he gets to be a literal puppet master with a literal puppet. <laughs> he does. And when that's... Uh, again, you know... It, we're going to spoil things. I'm sorry if you've made it this far. I'm sorry. Um, he, a, a skeleton, a skeleton rises up from the vat of acid. Emerges, I would say. <laughs> it emerges to spookify his wife. Um, and when it when it comes up, that really is, that is one of the few moments in this film I'm very generous when I watch these films. I love them so much. I will overlook any practical effect if it's a little bit shanky because, hey, they were trying. When that skeleton emerged and you can see the strings on it and stuff, I did kind of think, God, that does look terrible. Uh, But of course, it doesn't need to fool me. It only needed to fool his wife because that's not a real skeleton. That is Vincent Price operating a puppet. That is Mr. Lauren operating a puppet. Um... It, it's it's so Scooby-Doo. I love it so much. Yeah, there's this moment where he emerges from a dark shadow in the corner of the basement and he's operating this... Pulley system. Yeah, this pulley system that's sort of strapped to his waist that lets him puppeteer the skeleton. And it's so good. And I feel like if you had watched the film in Emerge-O with, yeah, the, with, the, with skeleton. the skeleton flying over the audience at the sort of crucial <laughs> moment... And, you know, and a special pulley system was built for that. So it sort of all ties in. <laughs> oh, my God. He's, he's, we're the puppets. <laughs> um, I will say as well, and I'm doing that funeral car procession in a minute at the beginning, sorry. And he's being the puppet master and explaining who's who. He does say it goes, well, it, went, it, it certainly went over my head at the start when he's introducing everyone. And he introduced a psychiatrist. And he mentions the glint of greed in his eye. Now, obviously, we find out right at the very end that that psychiatrist was potting with Mr. Lauren's wife to kill Mr. Lauren. Ah, but Mr. Lauren knew about it the whole time. And he invited him into his home to attempt to murder him because he was going to murder him right back. Come on, that's like Saw or something. <laughs> that's, that is some scene one, minute one checkoff. Uh, no, it's not even checkoffs. It's just, it's foreshadowing. But it's real clever. <laughs> it is real clever. So the we're at the point in the podcast. Well, normally we by now we would have asked, would you kiss the monster? But there isn't a literal monster in this film. Greed is the monster in this film. Mm. Maybe. Uh, yeah. Lust, maybe? Vincent Price, was he lusting after his wife? No, I not really. Was he wearing the cuckold's horns? <laughs> he was wearing the cuckold's horns. Uh, oh my god! No, I'm sorry. Can we backtrack? Can we? Can we backtrack? I yeah. want to talk more about. We can just cut this whole bit. I want to talk more about the interplay between him and his wife when they're in the bedroom. Oh my god! Such amazing, um, fuck it, acting. I'll call it. I don't know. Yeah, acting. When he's pointing the champagne bottle, he's got an unopened champagne bottle, corked, ready to pop, and he holds it up to his shoulder like it's a rifle and aims it at his wife. Now his wife 
and him have been having a catty back and forth this whole time. They clearly hate each other. And they're sniping at each other and they're giving as good as they get. And when he does this, it starts to shake her up. And the balance of power shifts towards him. He's got this weapon, essentially. And she doesn't have one. And we know later on that she refuses one when she's handed one. But when he's pointing this corked champagne bottle that's ready to pop at her and walking towards her, holding it, holding her gaze, her mannerisms go from sniping as good as she gets to being quite afraid. And I thought that was really well done. And then she sits down in the chair, I think, and starts brushing her her hair in a sort of like, you know, just go away now, please. You've, you've rattled me and I, you're unpleasant and I don't want this to carry on. But he forcefully pulls her hair, doesn't he? And starts to brush it in this, like, I am in control. But all the while maintaining a sort of, you know, like, facade of... Oh, yeah, this it's got this real sort of, like, we play these games, don't we? Kind of, like... Like I said before, that sort of like seething hatred, but it, as you said, it's like catty. Yeah. It's all got an air of like. It's, it's, you know, it starts off with the essentially like, oh, I'll kill you. Oh, not if I'll kill you first kind of thing, but it, it becomes real. So the Resurrect song, House on Haunted Hill, and the 1959 William Castle directed Vincent Price starring film, House on Haunted Hill. How do we feel about the pairing? Oh, it's. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. The Resurrect song has got an upbeat uh, punk rockabilly energy to it that sort of has more of a party atmosphere than The House on Haunted Hill has. Um, But yeah, I mean, the lyrics tie in perfectly. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. The um the lyrics are really good. It starts with this line, I know this man, I think he's crazy, don't play his game. Mm. Uh and yeah, I would say that kind of sets up the the premise. Um yeah, it's it, it is more energetic, less of a tone piece than the film, but yeah, it true. does have uh a certain campiness to it and just how literal the lyrics are, which I find really enjoyable uh you know just one of the things that i like about horror punk is it usually doesn't try to be too smart even though we both agree like house on haunted hill is quite a clever film you don't have to make a clever song about it you can just have lyrics that are about things that happen in the film hanging from a noose above me i think we better go (laughs) and uh yeah i don't really know why i said that about it being a bit too upbeat because it is a horror punk track. It's not horror folk. Yeah, I mean, these things, it's not necessarily about making something that's got the same vibe. Sometimes the vibe matches really well between the song and the the film. Sometimes it's more of like a lyrical content match. Sometimes it's just two things that I feel like they go really well together. I think this is a good example of a film of a song that just like takes inspiration from the events of the film but then does its own thing i'd like to see resurrects go to the house on haunted hill yeah i mean he claims it's such a thrill but i think he'd be scared i'd watch that movie though Mm. can we make this happen (laughs) resurrects get at us on our social media (laughs) well we made it this far 
Um, so, would you write your $10,000? Yeah, all right. Do you want yours? Yeah, go on then. Okay, well, here it is. It's uh, You made it all the way to 8 o'clock the following morning. The groundskeeper has come back and unlocked the door. Oh, what are you handing me here? It's a sealed box. Let me open it. Why? What's this? This must be what we're doing in week three of Vincent Price Month. I'll see you next week, boils and ghouls. You can find Frankenstein Podcast for Planet 13 on Instagram at planet underscore one three underscore podcast. You can find us on Twitter at planet one three podcast. You can find this podcast wherever good podcasts are found, including Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to check out our Spotify playlist where we put all the songs that we talk about on the show. That's Frankenstein Playlist from Planet 13 on Spotify.